My name is Paul Owen, and this is the Sales Talent Podcast. Welcome back to the Sales Talent Podcast, and we are in Series 3 with a focus exclusively on women in sales. And today's episode is episode nine in the series. And it is the final one of this series. Um, Fear not, there's plenty more coming. Uh, We are about to undergo a rebrand. And that's not just of the podcast, it's the whole company. So I'm really, really excited about that. So it's going to happen in February. And once that company rebrand is done with a much cleaner, sharper, more focused brand around what we do, we're going to re- shape the podcast to match it and loads and loads of great ideas coming in the uh, in the next series we're, we're going to mix up the format and have some shorter uh, sessions we've done a survey recently and you've uh, you've spoken you've uh, told us that you'd like a, a variation on the length of the podcast we've got some shorter versions some solo versions some longer versions we go more in depth so lots and lots of plans lots and lots of themes uh, coming for the next series so do listen out for that launching. Uh, Also, if you are a a regular listener or a first timer and you enjoy the episode that you're about to hear, then please show your support uh, by subscribing will be one great way you could rate us, you could review us, or you could just tell one other person uh, when you're in cafe in the pub in a restaurant at a family event soon uh, about this podcast that you find useful and interesting. Uh, It'd be amazing if you could share that. So who have we got uh, for you today? Well, rounding off our series uh, is a fascinating businesswoman who is a a founder of an outstanding sales growth company. So another expert from the world of sales and business growth, working predominantly with energy and tech sector clients. Uh, Fascinating background, as in she started life as a trauma nurse. And as you'll hear in the following interview, she draws um, enormous amounts of inspiration and ideas uh, and processes uh, from her time as a trauma nurse to use in her current role as a director of her own company and an advisor to many fast-growing companies on the SME market and also some huge multi-billion-dollar uh, corporate entities. Um, as well as running her own company, our guest is also. Uh, chair of the Institute of Directors. She's a non-exit director. Uh, she's a host of her own podcast and a founder member of the Sales Club on Clubhouse, which uh, now has over 40,000 members. So without further ado, let's find out who you're going to meet today. Please introduce yourself. Okay, so my name is Sarah Dines, and I'm the co-founding director and CRO of Ducaru, a sales enablement consultancy. And I wear a few other hats, voluntary um, as chair of IOD, um, Aberdeen branch, and a few board advisory roles. Um, But I haven't had a normal route into sales if such a thing exists. I started my career in nursing and specifically trauma nursing. So it's been quite a journey um, to date. And that's enabled me in many ways with transferable skills and getting to where I am today. What's your favourite thing about sales? The people. Um, The nurse in me um, loves people and helping people. And I think sales is a, a great way when done well and ethically to help other people. What has made you successful in sales? Again, I'm going to go back to my nursing background. I think my transferable skills, my ability to listen, my ability to question, my ability to look for solutions has really helped me in sales. And if you were able, what would you change about the world of sales? The fact that it's not really seen as a profession. I'm really passionate about professionalizing sales. I think it should be up there with accountancy, with marketing. You know, you should be able to be chartered in sales um, like other professions. And it's something I'm working hard to change. And what would you like to talk about today? Um, So we're going to be talking about strategic selling, um, I think. So really looking forward 
to having that conversation and where the people element comes into that. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me, Paul. It's a pleasure to be here with you. And thank you for playing along with our quickfire questions there. I know they sound <laughs> a little bit impersonal, but uh, gives gives our listeners a, a quick flavour uh, of who they're going to meet before we get started. Uh, so you're based up in uh, Aberdeen, of course. Um, yeah. And something before we get stuck into the strategic selling piece and complex selling, which I'm really looking forward to, um, our listeners always like to hear a little bit about people and you made reference there with your uh, fascinating background and clearly a very important part of your background in what you do now of nursing and then into business. So do you want to give us a, a whistle-stop tour of, I don't know, Sarah joining the world of work, what she did and how she's ended up where she is today? Of course. So um, I guess through school, I was one of these people that didn't really know what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I'm sure many people can resonate with that, whether they're still at school or, you know, they're in their 50s and counting how many careers they've had um, across a couple of hands. Um, my mum was a nurse and I was really inspired by her. Um, I was very fortunate as a child to attend, you know, bake sales at the local nursing home and things and see her in action. And just the way that she was adding value to people's lives um, really inspired me. So I tried it out um, as a part-time role as a care assistant while I was still studying social sciences at the time at college and just fell in love with it. So chose the nursing career, went into the nursing career and I loved it. Um, and then five years in, um, I actually started to have seizures and I was diagnosed with epilepsy quite out of the blue. So my transition from nursing into business at the time was not a choice. Um, it was health related. And to be honest, if you had told me back then I would have ever ended up working in sales, I would have run a mile um, because I had the same, um, I guess, view of the world of sales as many other people that didn't understand it at the time. But I knew I had to go into business and I knew that um, I had to find my way. I didn't really understand my transferable skills back then, um, but was very lucky to have a director, which was who was also my mentor to me, who had also gone through a career transition um, from sports, actually, into business. And she really helped me. And through working in an SME, where I had the ability to get involved with every function of the business, from quality to finance to sales, marketing, events, um, I realized the two areas that really aligned to my previous experience and what I wanted to take further was strategy and sales. So I focused on those two areas, um, sales because it was all about people and when done well, you can help a lot of people and strategy because everything in a trauma unit is a strategy um, and the ability to set strategy but within a multidisciplinary team that's going to execute, but also the ability to pivot and change that strategy as you go through the implementation. I took a lot of lessons from my nursing background into the world of business from that. So worked employed um, for some time and then we had a huge um, downturn in industry in Aberdeen, oil and gas downturn of 2014 to 2016. And I realized at that time that I could help more people by being self-employed than I could as an employee and took the jump into the world of self-employment, set up as a you know one-man band sales consultant. I called myself a business development consultant, but was really working with businesses across startup growth and exit um, and really working on their strategy, whether that was diversification, export, growth, shrinking, <laughs> um, and the sales aspects of that. And then in 2018, I decided to scale a business. So I joined forces with my now business partner, Dr. Yekemi Otaru, who we, I was working with as an associate. And we decided to build a team and build a business. And that's where Dukari was born at the end of 2018. Mm. And if you, um, Dukari, give, give us a snapshot of the, of the kind of people you help, the kind of companies you work with, what your specializations are. 
So we predominantly work across the energy and technology sectors. Um, we do a little bit in professional services. Um, everything is B2B. And we mostly work with boards. We work with senior business leaders who know they can do better when it comes to sales. And we support them through doing a lot of analysis work, understanding what's really going on. As we, I call it the MRI. Let's not focus purely on symptoms. Let's go back and do the MRI. We work with them on process, um, enabling tech stack, people development, um, and a lot of building that sales function structure into their business. And that can be done for a number of different reasons. We work with startups, usually funded startups, who are ramping up pretty quickly, right the way through to multi-billion dollar global organizations and everything in between. So they often have the same problems, um, but how we help them can be different depending on the size and scale of the organization. Okay, interesting. Um, I just want to say with one point that you made there about the uh, world of medicine and then what you're doing now, because I think it's a, a really important point in business and in sales generally, and then we'll come to strategic selling more specifically. That idea of having a plan and having the ability to pivot, I think is often misunderstood in business mm -hmm. and in sales. And where I come from on this is staying within the sales sector. You often have people say, oh, you can't, um, you know, there's, there's such variety in the interactions we have with people. You can't prepare for that. So you just got to, you know, go with go with it and see what happens. And I think the mistake there made is that just because you can't prepare for everything, you should prepare for nothing. And I don't think that that works generally. I think you need to have a plan, have a strategy, and know what you're doing. But that never takes away in any field of human endeavour the need sometimes to say, "Hang on, things have changed here. Now we need to change." Yes. And I think if you even look at the last, you know, five years, even the last two years in business and the, I guess, the, the landscape, um, you know, through the pandemic, industry downturns, now the cost of living crisis, you know, our the journey that our buyers need to go on with us is changing and therefore us as sales organisations need to change to meet the buyer needs. But also, you know, with technology evolving, AI now in the equation, it's forever changing and it always will be. So, a, you know, a strategy shouldn't be something you create in January and it's a document that gets put on the bookshelf for the rest of the year and collects dust. I think it should be a live document um, and the implementation of the strategy should be able to change. And you can only understand when to do that if you're tracking and measuring mm. success or not um appropriately so that you understand when to make those decisions on change mm. yeah i really want, want to come back to that data point of tracking uh shortly as well but let's get down to strategic selling let's talk okay. complex sales solutions so i've got a double question for you here uh sarah if i can to start with um the English language is a wonderful thing, but it's also a complicated thing in that different words mean different things to people. So I'd like you to start, if you would, with um, explaining what you mean by strategic selling, stroke selling complex solutions. And then secondly, or within the same answer, if you like, um, why do you want to talk about that today? Okay. Um, so first part of the question, um, what is it? So you know, and if you ask 100 people, you'll get 100 different answers to this, Paul, um, as you know. So for me, you, you know, I see sales as either transactional or complex, um, really. So transactional would be, you know, I can pick up the phone to you, offer you a solution, are you going to buy it or not, you know, in a one, two call close, or you might go into a website and purchase. When we talk about complex selling and strategic selling, it really does need a strategy. There's a lot of moving parts to navigate. Um, there's a lot to consider. And if you don't pull all that together into a strategy, you're going to have a lot of people off on their own doing it in completely different directions and it isn't going to work for the com towards the common goal. So I can give an example, which might be easier. Um, we work a lot in said energy and technology and enterprise level. So if you're wanting to sell a product or a service to one of these large organizations, 
it's not going to be purchased by one person, you know, in the decision making. You're going to have to understand the buying processes of that company, which departments or functions are involved from, you know, it could be engineering to procurement to finance, you know, who are those buyer personas? What do they care about? How are we going to build the relationships and educate at all these different levels? And then even once the sale is made, if we think about, you know, the knock-on into operations and after sales, that's also going to be complex. So there's a strategy required to navigate um, the entire situation and pull it all together. Why do I want to talk about this today? Um, I think that really came from a conversation we had on the value that you wanted for the audience and that this was a gap of something that had been spoken about before and something I'm really passionate about helping people to explore and to understand further. And I want to add value. So I'll add value to the gaps where I can. Great. Uh, okay. So I, I want, I've got a few questions ready for you, but where I can, I'll try and pick up on what you just said. You said there, um, they're selling to more than one person. In fact, more than one department, more than, one location and I don't think anyone can be in a world of selling in the way you're talking about strategic selling over a significant period quite often and not face this challenge of how do we make sure the message is getting front of enough of the right people without at the same time um, offending the contact we do have by trying to go around them next to them above them yeah how to do how to do that okay the question is the how so, you know, the first thing I would look at um, if it was a new account and that you wanted to get in is, is creating a bit of a stakeholder map. So understanding, you know, who these people are, who these functions are, um, and really thinking about the people, not just the function. So when we talk about the value proposition, often people get hung up on what's the value the business wants. So the business wants to be more secure, the business is looking for quality, the business is looking for cost saving. But what do the individuals care about? Because everyone has a personal agenda and everyone that's making a buying decision is also thinking about themselves. So taking it down to an individual level, not just what does the function or the company care about and understanding what that value needs to look like. Understanding the um, decision making um, I guess the autonomy each of those people have. So are they a budget holder? Are they more of an influencer to the budget holder? Um, do they sit on the board? You know, if it is going to be taken to board, are they going to be able to champion this decision, this business case at board level? Um, and understand, you know, and different companies do this in different ways. They might color code people. They might call them influencer, champion, decision maker. You know, you can use different language, but really we need to map, you know, the business, map the organization. And this will be for this map will forever change as well, going back to our need to change and pivot, because every time you talk to this company or read something online, you're going to get new information, new intel, and you need to be willing to always be adding and removing people or information from the account map. Um, and with that, there's the people and then there's the processes, right? So early on, we need to understand how does procurement work? How does finance work? How does legal work? You know, if you're selling a, don't know, an enterprise level technology into a, a, a company, legal and um, cybersecurity, you know, all of these stakeholders are going to be at play as well. So it's really mapping it out so we know what we have to deal with and then we can create a, a plan around that. And staying with that topic, and that all makes sense, um, let's say I'm a salesperson, I'm listening to this, or maybe I'm a sales leader listening to this, and this happens with my sales team. So I've seen this with clients, and, I, and I'm sure I've made this mistake as well, Sarah, where you haven't mapped it, or you haven't mapped it fully or properly, or, or you've missed something. And you're perhaps at the third stage, perhaps you're at a meeting like this, it's a Zoom meeting or Teams, and I'm... Um, I think I'm meeting Sarah and I know her FD is coming along and then suddenly the operations director is on that call as well. I might be going into too much detail and please tell me if I am, but I've seen this happen with clients quite often. Yeah. Somebody new comes in and I'm happy to share my experience. But I'd love to try and hear what you, from a sales skill side of things, um, how people can go about 
um, getting that person on board whilst not making them feel like, oh, hang on, you're all a bit too far ahead for me. Um, yeah. how, how to handle that? So I personally would state the obvious, you know, so I don't know, say Mr. Ops Director is called Bob. I'll say, Bob, really happy that you can join us today. And obviously we're already three meetings in. So let's start by understanding what would your key takeaway from this meeting be? What do you need to understand today to help you get on board with this plan um, so that I can make sure that I add that value to you during this meeting? Something as simple as that. State the obvious. Don't just welcome them into the room and carry on um, as you would in meeting three or meeting four, whatever it is with the other stakeholders. But let's understand why he's there, understand what he's hoping to get from it and understand his part in the buying process as well Yeah, by asking open questions, really. Yeah. I'm sure there'll be lots more to come, Sarah, and don't worry, this is not me wrapping you up on the shortest <laughs> interview ever. Uh, but for listeners, um, that answer Sarah's just given there, I see um, probably in somewhere between 60 and 80% of salespeople get that bit wrong. Um, the ops director, let's, let's stay with Bob, shall we? You've named him. They come in, and then what will happen is Sarah says, don't worry, Paul, Bob's fully up to speed, and off you go. And it's like, no, 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 don't bring somebody in because the the where my answer was going to come from when you you did it uh, beautifully and succinctly there is that you jump in and as in you carry on and fairly quickly it becomes apparent that bob's not in and mm -hmm. not as only bob not in uh bob's slightly offended of how far this conversation has gone without their involvement so um if you decide to proceed i can almost guarantee that bob's going to be a problem for you pretty yeah. quickly whether he tells you that straight away or not, uh, you really need to take that that bit on board. So it's a great tip. Um, and he may have been dragged into that meeting kicking and screaming. He may not understand why he's there. And that gives him the opportunity to voice that mm. as well. And that's happened to me a number of times where someone's been told to attend a meeting and they don't, they don't actually know what value they want from it. They don't even know why they're there. But if you allow that to come out in the first few minutes, someone else in the room is going to answer that question. And then he understands, but also so do you on why he's there. Yeah. So. And then broadening it, but staying within that same challenge, you made reference uh, a few minutes ago to the same concept but where there's a board decision being involved. Mm -hmm. And um, let, let's drop Bob for now. So I don't want to overplay uh, that piece. <laughs> but our, our contact person or persons then has to go to board. What about challenges of making sure that that message is getting across in the way that's going to move people to action and not get sort of lost in translation? Yeah, so the way I look at it is, you know, the internal stakeholders almost become an extension of your sales team. So I take a coaching approach. I support them to create the business case. And I would challenge them on, okay, who is on the board? Let's understand those individuals. What are they going to care about? What are some of the objections that may come up in this board meeting, the meeting that I know I might personally not be sitting in on? Um, and just make sure they're as prepared as possible. Um, I'm also quite fortunate because of my experience of working with boards and also I'm, I'm working towards becoming a chartered director right now. Sometimes I'm looking at it from a very directorship approach, um, and when I challenge the internal stakeholders on what may come up as objections and how are we going to answer those. So I really just see them as an extension of my, my sales team and my sales process at that stage. And I'm there to give them as much support as I possibly can to the point I'll stay up late at night sometimes with them creating the, you know, the business case board pack. Um, yeah. If that's what it takes. Um, if I can't be in that room myself, I need to make sure that the people going into that room on my behalf are going to manage the situation as closely to what I would as possible. Yeah. And that seems to neatly link back to a point you made a while ago about um, within a meeting itself, trying to understand each person's concern within it because you want to help them solve that problem. And you've captured it there in the same vein, if you like, along helping you to do that presentation to, or sorry, helping your client to do that presentation to the board. You know, how can I make that easier for you? Because there's some pressure on them there, right? They're going to the board. It's a, you know, you've seen it lots, but maybe some people selling 
in at that level have not seen it often enough. There's, there's a pressure to that. There's a time pressure. There are competing items on that agenda uh, yeah. and not everything gets discussed there. Right? And so your angle is let's, let's help you look good mm-hmm. with, with and a minimum amount of work. It's really simple things as well, Paul. So, for example, they might say to me, we've got 10 minutes on the agenda. And I'll say things to them, okay, but agenda items likely run over. So what if you then get told you have three minutes? You know, how are we going to handle that? (laughs) So, you know, any situation, you know, scenario that we can think of, we need to explore. And they they appreciate that because you're helping them to build confidence. um, You're helping them to look good, which is what they often care about. They don't to be seen as going into a board meeting wasting anyone's time so they typically start seeing you as you know that more advisor um, rather than salesperson which is a great place to be in any client supplier relationship absolutely okay so that's a bit of conversation there about sarah the um i guess in the process of the sale and, and and getting different stakeholders on board but I want to come back a lot of, I imagine, within what you're doing in advising people around strategic selling, there's a lot of work that goes, goes into the beginning of that process. So where do you start with people? Something I see in particular in SMEs very often is they haven't spent enough time thinking about the value that they offer, and they've hardly ever spent enough time thinking about the kind of companies they should be going after, and so they do a scattergun approach. Yes, that's very common. <laughs> I'm just you've just thrown me back into a strategy session I was in last week. Oh really? Um of a very established business that have survived by doing almost nothing um, and right, have right. had a lot of luck. Um and it's quite amazing how long people can do that for sometimes. In other cases, you know, not at all. Depends on the sector they work in. But yes, you're right. It's very common. And you know, it's certainly the mistake I've made in the past as well. You know, and if I think back to my very first sales job where I didn't have a clear strategy to follow um, and the team at the time were absolutely doing this. Um, so, you know, it's something I think anyone that's ever worked in sales will have been guilty of at some point. Um, and, you know, you don't know what you don't know, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's okay. But for those of us that choose to develop and test and, you know, fail quick and move on, you quickly realize that it's not the best approach and having a strategy um, is going to enable you. So where to start, I think, going back to the basics, understanding, you know, that your value, first of all, is really important. A lot of companies jump to who do we want to work with and they'll come out with lots of brand names. But actually, let's understand our value first and then understand if there's even a need for that value within the target market we think we want to work in Mm. and then test that you know do some market research interview people whatever it takes to understand if there is even a market fit before you start really going to town on lead generation and sales um a lot of businesses miss that um that important for me critical um part of building strategy It's then how do you message that value as well? So creating very clear value proposition. This is where a lot of businesses and not just SMEs, also corporate level businesses jump into sales pitches, sales presentations, where it's all about them. You know, we are X amount of years old. We have a combined experience on our team of 52 years. You know, we have done this. We have done that. The client doesn't actually care about that in the early stage conversations. So you need to flip it what make it about them you know this is the value that we're here to offer and this is why you care about that value right this is why we think you're going to care so the messaging I think is it needs some work um a lot of the time and you can only get to that clear messaging once you understand the who you know so who can you help who do you can you add value to and you may have multi if you're in complex sales environment you will have multiple value propositions because you know if you just take the board the cfo is going to care about something quite different to the coo the ceo the cso so even if you just take that as a, a clear example yes you're offering exactly the same thing but how are you going to message it so it strikes the right chord with the right individuals 
Mm. And again, that helps to understand the who before you start creating these messages. Um, so going right back to basics, you know, it's buyer persona, um, it's value proposition work, it's market research. Are we a market fit? Um, who's the competitors in this space? What are we going to be up against? What are their sales cycles looking like so that we understand what ours are probably going to be or what we need to, to work towards? And I think all of that is often missed. People just say, we have a product. Mm. Here's a list of companies. Let's start selling and get mm. themselves very excited and fail very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was smiling particularly at the beginning of um, your answer there where you talked about success. And it reminded me of a phrase um, I've always liked, which is often people are successful in spite of their strategy, particularly mm -hmm. their sales strategy rather than because of it. And I think that then confuses, oh, we must be good at it because look at our results. Like That was just somebody you happened upon and then that happened and then that happened, which is great to make the most of it. But that wasn't the right strategy. You know, you 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 bumped into some business and then you delivered well um, and you have a compelling offering, whether it's product or service. But your strategy was all over the place. And I think very often um, we have unreliable data around sales you wanted to talk to you about something we chatted about when we spoke in advance about doing this podcast and my, my angle on, on data and on the pure uh, salesperson's role is often whether it's a call or it's a meeting whatever it might be um, you can sometimes do a really poor job uh, and win and other times you can do a really great job and lose and it's normally the latter more often than the former and the danger of that is you, you read the wrong data. And I think in any walk of life and what I'm already hearing from you and your explanation so far it, that, that you match this for your clients is that in any walk of life, I think that you are have an ability to know that you've done a good job in spite of the result that you sometimes get rather than only defined by the result. Because in so many different ways, the results are either misleading as in unreliable or they're too late Mm. To, to be an indicator for you so I would have thought some of what you're offering I want to give you the answer here I'm trying to frame it as a question Sarah of where you go into companies and recognize okay it's great you've had the success so far but let's try and think about if we want to go from two to five and on to 10 million revenue there needs to be purposeful action here rather than incidental action yeah and I think it's working backwards and getting some of that data so if the business is starting up, it's quite a different conversation to if they're already been in business for 10, 20, 30 years. If they've been in business a while, one of the first things I always ask is, right, let's think about the, the last 10 sales you had. And it doesn't matter how big they are or small. Don't give me your 10 largest or 10 smalls, just the last 10 sales. And let's work back and understand where each of those actually came from. And by doing so, Often, and more often than not in the SME community, what we realize is there has been a lot of luck or they have been rely they've been order takers, not salespeople. Mm. So they've been relying on that phone ringing. They've been relying on that web site, you know, form being completed. And some or it can be a lot of referrals and repeat business, in which case there's a huge risk there because they're completely reliant on that and they're not really in control of it in the way that they would be with new sales and that really is quite an aha moment for these teams when they see that there is actually no trend or there is a trend but the trend is risk mm. you know there's a lot of very well known in the eyes of PR successful entrepreneurs out there because they have done something great once you know, so they've been lucky once and they can build an entire brand on this. And we see that all the time. Mm. Um, but I always say, unless you can do the same thing, you know, two, three, four or five times, you're not really you haven't figured it out yet. You know, if you can sell one multi-million pound project once, great. But how are you going to do that again? That's mm. the question I'm interested in understanding. So it's about working backwards, you know, from the success, understanding where that came from, identifying the gaps and showing that the lack of strategy and the lack of process or the lack of competency in your team, you know, what, what are the gaps needing filled and how are we going to fill those in so that this is 
success can become more sustainable and more predictable because as business leaders, we need predictability to be able to make decisions. But that predictability needs to come from the right data, like you Mm. said, not the wrong data. Yeah, I remember doing, um, I was on a panel a few years ago for the National Sales Awards um, and it was the best sales team uh, category. Mm. So teams of between three and five would come in and present. And I remember there being some disagreement on the panel and my position was there was a, a company that came in and their presentation was utterly brilliant, Sarah, and their results were incredible. But my take was, they've got an incredible product it was a tech product and it was like, it's just magnificent. And the marketing behind it is brilliant. And they're just miles ahead everybody yeah. else. And I'm not saying I had the right answer, but my question to my fellow judges was, is that what we're judging here? Like just literally the growth or is it about the performance of the sales team? Because I felt like there were some other uh, competitors there who, you know, weren't, didn't have such a compelling product or service, didn't have the marketing behind it, didn't have the budget, didn't have the brand awareness. And yet they were doing an unbelievable job doing the sort of things you're talking about here, having a really clear strategy. We know exactly what our value is. We've really focused down to a small bit of value and a small uh, ideal client profile. And then we have a a process that we can put into action and monitor and so on. And that to me was more compelling because of the, it was almost like a handicap race. You know, they're, they're, they're being handicapped here, but their process itself was great. And I do think lots of SMEs get stuck in their growth because they've got their, I don't know if I'd go as far as saying purely on luck, because it's not just that they have to deliver, but on the winning clients have been a bit lucky and they sit. And I, th- I think what, if I may be bold, I think sometimes when you see an SME that's reached a certain stage and then stopped, it's often been about a lack of clarity around the strategy and a vision for growth. And they just got there because they won two or three good contracts and, and, they've, and they've been very successful at delivering, but they mislead themselves if they think their strategy got them there. Yeah, and I, I think as well, Owner-managed businesses, um, you'll have a director or a couple of directors that early stage in the company will tap into their existing network. But for every single one of us, that you know, black book of contacts only goes so far mm. and it doesn't provide a sustainable business model. So you need to be able to, as a business, reach out to, out with the existing network to new contacts, new business and be, you know, be able to get in and you're only going to be able to do that if you understand sales and have a competent sales force and to, to your point you know working in if it just take oil and gas as an example um as a sector that was absolutely booming for decades a couple of dips and downturns but sometimes when i competency assess the sales teams in these companies you can tell they have been order takers for 20 years so people that right. say experienced in sales for 30 years but some of the data on competency in sales is is extremely low extreme to the point someone with two years of sales experience in a business is actually selling could overtake quite easily Mm. and it really helps me to show boards that you know what got you here is not going to get you there you know Mm. to keep simple and because you can't you're not going to be able to be order takers anymore Yes, you've got loads of great case studies, loads of great accounts, but to get more out of those accounts and to focus now on new sales as you diversify into renewable energy, for example, it's going to take a different strategy. It's going to need a different level of competency. It's going to need different processes. And that's a huge transition at the moment for a lot of our clients. And it's it's really tough. Um, but they'll only get there if they go back and you know do the MRI and really understand what's happened already and where they need to move to. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk to you. I want to come back to that competence on salespeople. It was really interesting uh, the stuff you shared with me before, and I want listeners to have that. But I want to come back to something else. I want to come back to motivation. And so there's an angle that I would often talk about with um, with anybody I, I work with, whether it's at director level or working directly with sales teams. And that's that change carries risk and change carries problems. And change is, um, we think, easy to make, but actually all the evidence tells us change is actually difficult to make. So I think that one element important around change is you have to be clear um, the bits that realistically you can change and how quickly you can change them. But ultimately, as you'll know, uh, probably better than me, it's also 
about how much you want that changed. And again, I think sometimes SMEs, I imagine you have some like this who come to you. Um, I know I have, where they'll talk about wanting to grow here and grow there and grow. But I think the mistake I've made in the past is not grilling them enough on why they want it. Because if they don't want it enough, they won't make the changes. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And I think you you said motivation. For me, it's more also about commitment. So I think a lot of people have a very high desire, high level of desire and wanting to achieve something. Um, and they may even be at that point in time quite motivated to do so. But when you actually get started and it gets tough, only those of us that have the higher commitment to it will achieve. So motivation will only take us so far and the understanding of the why it's also what's the level of commitment to help you push through the barriers that you are 100% going to come up against at some point. You know, some people might hit them very quickly. Some people might take a few months or a few years, but they're going to be there. Um, and if you have a committed team, then together you can you can overcome that. If you don't have a committed team, no matter how motivated they are, you're, it, we still see a drop off in performance, if you like, and success. Yeah, I think often they go through almost as in they being companies, SMAs in particular. Maybe it's in corporate as well. I've just not seen it as much mm. uh, in the bigger company world of various recycles of it's almost like the New Year's resolution coming around again. Oh, we're going to do it this time. We're going to do it this time. Is that actually you've been at that level of revenue for five, six years. Now, that doesn't mean you can't change, um, but it does mean that all the stuff you tried before didn't work. And so you yeah. have to start by asking, so why didn't it work? And I agree with you. It's, oh, I'm really motivated. But, well, it's easy to say you're motivated. It's, the, the, as you said, the rigor, the discipline, the focus to keep going over not a few days or a few hours when you feel high. It's weeks and months and often years and recognizing that you probably won't feel the benefits for quite a long time. Yeah. Well, there's a reason that, you know, if you even just look at UK statistics, you know, if, if you look at startup community and how many startups fail within the first 12 months versus the first three years, first five years, you know, if you achieve three years, it's a huge milestone, actually. If you achieve four, another milestone, five, another milestone, because the percentages of startups that are not moving past these milestones are massive. And, you know, I know it's not purely sales related, but it is strategy related and process and implementation related. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's it's not, you can't just say it's because of they couldn't get funding, et cetera. There's so much a business, any business can do organically, but only if they're going to, you know, really dig their heels in mm. and, and keep going. But also it's important to know when to stop and when mm. to stop. And I think that balance is, is key. Oh, I can't move on. I was going to move us on, but I've got to stay with it. I've got to stay with that point because hallelujah. It's one of the um, huge nonsenses I think spoken about in the world, just the world generally, never mind in business. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's like this, you know, the lesson is I've learned is never give up. No, no, you have to give up sometimes. And I think whatever what always happens is, again, people don't read the data but the data is, oh, my friend so-and-so, he was nearly going to give up. And then he turned it around, and now he's done so-and-so. Like, for every one of those stories, the data will show you there's nine others that does not happen with. And I have personal friends who've ended up you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds in debt because they kept going. And they're like, no, no, we we're always going to be successful. And they've ended up you know, bankrupt and, and, and lost stuff and so on. So I don't buy, I think life's complicated and I think I always try and simplify it, but I think having very simple adages like never give up, I just, they're not simple, they're simplistic. There are times you should give up. Absolutely. And if I'm allowed to use a nursing example, mm. think of a treatment plan. So you could have a patient with cancer. I'm going to use cancer because everyone can relate to what cancer is and probably know someone that's had it or had it themselves. Um, but, you know, there's different stages of cancer, different types of cancer. And for some patients, you know, they'll go through treatment and they'll get the all clear. For others, you know, they'll go through treatment and they'll get a prognosis of, you know, treatments work to a certain point, but this is still not going to go past mm. six months or 12 months. And then there's other patients where with all the data, medical staff have to make the decision that there's nothing more we can do. Mm. 
And by keep trying, so if they know that it's not going to work, but they keep trying, they would waste resource, very valuable resource, but they would also cause a lot more heartbreak. They'd cause a lot more pain and suffering to that patient. So instead, they decide not to treat and actually just to, you know, go into palliative care mode and keep that that person comfortable um, Mm. and care for them and look after them in a compassionate way. But if they actually kept trying to, you know, people say flog a dead horse or whatever you want to, you know, it's called, you actually can cause more damage mm. to the individuals around you. And, and you're wasting so much resource, time, money, effort that could go into something else that could, you know, so that next patient who you could save a life, you know, mm. in that same analogy. So you know again i use medical analogies all the time for almost everything so apologies but it's just something that most people can relate to and i see businesses and i see opportunities like i see patients and for every patient there is a treatment plan a strategy um and sometimes you start working or you start the antibiotics and then realize that one isn't working we need to move to a different painkiller we need to move to a different antibiotic we need to try a different surgery um but at some point or another, it's going to work or it's not. And that's the reality of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to move us on, although I, I don't want to get quite yet onto the women in sales bit. So we have a small section, as you know, at the end of each of these where I talk to you about being a woman in sales. Um, it's uh, a part of what we do, but I've always believed we should talk about just sales mostly and business and then just that potential difference of being a woman. But I don't want to move on to that without coming back to that one point you mentioned earlier because it was so compelling when I spoke to you uh, in our preparation around competency, around assessments in sales, because this is a a major issue in the market for all sorts of different people. What's going to make somebody good at this? Tell me a bit about the, you know, what you do on that because it's something very interesting. Yeah, so about three years ago, um, I got rather fed up of sitting in meetings and boardroom discussions um, where I could see quite clearly it was nothing to do with the strategy or the processes. It was the people implementing that were was the answer to why things weren't working out. But when that's just your opinion and there's no data, go back to data to back it up, it's quite a difficult conversation to have, but also you want to test your own biases, right? Because we all have bias um, because of previous experience. So I started searching the market um, all around the world, lots of different data-driven um, competency assessment tools. And I'm not going to go into names of tools and things, so I don't think that's really important to the discussion. But we now use a tool um that allows us to competency assess sellers. And I say sellers because when you think of salespeople, people think sales reps, but also covers business development, founders of SMEs, um, account managers, inside, outside sales, anything sales related, sales management and sales leadership. And the data set is almost 2.3 million now. Um, so we can competency assess, but we also have a lot of benchmarking. That data has been validated constantly. And um, it's at the point now when hiring salespeople, we can even provide 92% predictive validation on the performance, which comes with a guarantee. But for an internal team, when you're you know, going back and doing the MRI, a lot of businesses will do pipeline analysis. And there's some great technology out there to enable you to do that as a business. But what people miss is the individuals. And I find working in a lot of technical companies, the the competency assess technical personnel and employees all the time, but not commercial. And we've now found a way and we've brought that to market and have been very successful in doing so to really help business understand what's going on, taking people into the equation. And it helps businesses, but it also helps the individuals within that business because once we understand where they are, we can then understand, are they in the right position? You know, got all these people on the bus, are they in the right seat? If we want to achieve our targets, in reality, what, what development plan does each person need to be on? Or do we have any glaring gaps which are not going to be filled through development in as short as two months? So maybe we need to hire somebody in to achieve those gaps in our in our process. And it really just helps to pull everything together. And what I love about it is it removes bias. So it is purely data. Nobody's sitting interviewing anyone. 
to get the the, out, the output. It removes bias in the recruitment process. A lot of larger businesses love it because it doesn't matter about gender, race, years of experience, how many degrees you have, um, sector experience, all the qualification criteria that often gets in the way of finding successful performing salespeople. Um, it removes all of that and allows us to purely look at competency and behavior. It's not a personality test. You know, I've heard before HR people saying, all oh, yellows are great salespeople. No, they're not. Um, there are salespeople in all four colors or letters, yeah, yeah. depending on the psychometric tool you're using. So this is not psychometric. This is not personality driven. Um, it's very much a competency um, assessment and it's something that adds value very, very quickly to any size of organization. It is only for B2B, not B2C. So it's worth saying okay. that as well. Yeah. Okay. Gosh, I wish we had longer because I've got so many angles to throw in, to uh, throw questions around that maybe for another time. But I think bias around salespeople, some of the stuff I've heard over the years, uh, and I'll, st I'll stay on some of the safer ground of, oh, we don't hire northerners here. They don't really work out for us. <laughs> uh, we don't we don't hire young grads because they're no good we don't hire old people because this and it's like and it and it the reason I mention it and I, and I don't say it like heartily because there are you know major problems around that for both the people that are turned down uh, and for the companies uh, but they're so ludicrous and they're so far away from data and the data is normally we did it once five years ago and it didn't work and and I, it's just a, a another disturbing uh, reason why to some extent sales functions within business remain in dark ages um because gut instinct and, and employing on likability which is a massive one of course in sales oh you know i employed sarah because she reminded me of myself and it's like <laughs> there's a little bit more to it and the other element you touched on it there is there's many different kinds of salespeople. so when yeah. you say to me what makes a good salesperson well, what kind of salesperson are you talking about there's a lot of different ways and most businesses yeah. don't actually understand what they're looking for you know they That's say i need a salesperson but for those of us in sales, we understand that that is not one role. There are so many different parts to sales, even just going back to that transactional and complex selling, consultative selling piece. There are so many different types of salespeople and nobody needs to be great at everything. Mm. Um, it, they just need to be great at the things that business needs at that point of time. So that's why it's really valuable if we can assess internal team first, because then we really understand what they already have and what some of the gaps are before they start hiring new people in. Otherwise, you're right. They often hire more of the same thing. And if that's not already working, why would you hire more of that in? Mm. Um, and nepotism as well. You know, oh, he's my buddy or I worked with him before. And, oh, that's my best friend's son. You know, all that kind of stuff happens. So I love debunking lots of myths mm. around who is a good salesperson and, and breaking down the bias. Um, and I know we're going to speak about women in sales as well. And I've had businesses openly say to me, I would, I would have probably said I wouldn't, didn't want a woman in sales because it's a very male dominated buying mm. you know, buyer persona. But this has shown me that that's actually exactly what I need. Um, so, yeah, that's probably a whole other episode, to be honest, Paul, if you want to talk about competency of women versus men in sales. Mm. There are some clear differences, mm. um, but we won't have time for that today. No. Okay, that's a date. Well, it's not a date. We'll agree at a date, but I definitely want to come back to that one because that alone um, is really worth uh, insight uh, for people. Uh, but there's going to be a blast of music in people's ears in a few seconds uh, as we segue into talking in more detail about women in sales. So my first question, Sarah, direct. Do you think you've faced challenges in becoming a sales leader and now a business leader, I guess, being a woman that might be different from if you were a man? So I have quite strong opinions on this because I feel like men have actually supported me through my career more than women. Um. So I um I see the gender gap. Don't get me wrong. There is gender gaps across the board in business. You know, from pay to senior executive roles, etc. Um, but I have never actually felt really held back because of my gender. Um, and that may be because 
of my background from nursing and which is a very female dominated mm. space and um then moving into business I was fortunate to have the nursing background where I don't put people on a pedestal because of their job title or how much money they make to me we're all human beings we all get sick we all break and I was very comfortable very early into my business career talking to the CEO talking to the you know the the leadership level because of my background which I think really helped I think from the data that I've seen that there are certainly less women in sales leadership. Um, and I have heard very clearly state statements in meetings that where people say, I don't think a woman in this leadership role would be taken as seriously. Um, when I hear things like that, I, you know, one, it's good I have the data I have, but I can... I, you know, I can have a very diplomatic conversation and, and get my point across. So even though I haven't personally felt it for myself and my own career, I absolutely know there's a problem there. And it's a problem that I am very passionate about talking about and, excuse me, supporting. So, for example, tomorrow evening, I'm speaking to a load of female tech founders um, going through an accelerator about sales. Um and I, I give up a lot of my time to do that. I'm also a fellow of the Institute of Sales Professionals. And when we talk about professionalizing sales and building you know, sales apprenticeships, build sales diploma, sales degrees into this world, that we need to have diversity and inclusion um, at the heart of that as well. Mm. So I, I'm not sure if I fully answered you, but maybe giving you a bit of background. Well, no, I think you have, and I would understand it is that you haven't seen differences for yourself, but you've seen them there. They they exist, and, and I've certainly seen them. I think it could be sector-specific. I think there are different sectors that are more welcoming, and you can normally see um, easily on a headcount by walking in and, and seeing who's there. Um, but yeah. I think it's even more stark, as you're right, at sales leadership level. If you sit on a panel at a conference or you look at the speaker lineup, um, mm. I think it's typically 70 to 80 percent men yeah. and, I, and I might be being generous uh, at yeah. that figure. I think in business it's ha- you know I wouldn't say it's held me back because I've I've you know whacked down the barriers when it tries to have as best I can but I've had some really interesting comments made so even about six months ago I was at a mm-hmm. online networking um, and I hope this man listens to this episode I was at an online networking um, event and there was this very successful lawyer um, or you know, guy from legal sector. And we'd had some group discussion, first of all, and he'd made a couple of comments that I always thought, did he really say that? You know, sexist comments. Mm. But then we went into one-to-one. So it was one of these platforms where you get thrown in with someone for three minutes and then right. it's like speed networking almost. And it was all senior leaders um, in the call. And we were talking about the pandemic and how difficult it had been to lead businesses through the pandemic. And he said to me, it must have been really hard for you. And I said, oh, right. Um, Well, yes, it's been difficult. I think it's been hard for everyone. Um, I said, if you want to, what do you mean by that? And I was expecting him to say something about, you know, the fact that maybe where we were um, in Aberdeen, because we also had an oil and gas downturn to contend with, or the fact that I'm juggling multiple roles with board roles and a company. But he actually outright said, because you're a woman. <laughs> wow. Um, and I won't I, I won't share my response because I'm not sure if it's appropriate. <laughs> yeah, um, we, we, we don't we, we prefer not to have swearing on um, the show. I, well, no, I didn't swear, but oh, okay. you know, it was a bit naughty. Um and I said what I had to say and I left the call. I hung up on him, essentially. Right. And I was just so shocked that he'd actually, even if he thought it, that he actually said mm. it. Um, and it really got me thinking. And it got me thinking, about, you know, why, why does he think that? Um, and it's obviously his own background, his own experience, mm. sitting in hundreds of meetings over his career where women have been spoken about in a certain way or treated a certain way. Uh, and he's maybe done that himself. He probably has. Um, mm. And that's where it's come from. So, you know, there is a problem there and it needs to be, you know, handled and that will take a long time and yeah. a lot of effort. But in um, it's across in business, you know, and it's, a, it's, it's across culture. It's across 
everything. It's not just in sales. Yeah, I agree. And it always feels to me, staying with that example, to some extent, is um, it's the small, almost incidental comments that are feel to me like almost the biggest problem now, as in some of the most outrageous stuff that was around perhaps when I was growing up of, you know, role of women versus role of men uh, yeah. has moved forward, you know, a long way. Um, but there's lots of that. Some might call it unconscious bias. I'm not quite sure I buy into that, but it's the little bits. And, you know, I do sit behind that idea of, you know, men and women have to pick up on those things. And yeah. you know, I feel like I'm, I don't think that I fall into those traps. I hope I don't. I've got a very um, independent wife who's always, it's actually about working, but just in lots of bits of ways of her life. She's independent and, and her daughter who, um, if ever I did fall into that, would kick me. And I don't think my boys would kick me for it as well. But some of that incidental stuff where it's not blatant, it's just there. And I often find, if I compare it to politicians, where, oh, I, oh, I misspoke, or I shouldn't have said that. Actually, it's not the issue that you said it. It's the issue that you think it. Yeah, that's the problem. It's only just you know it becomes visible when you say it. But the fact that you think it's just not much misspeaking. It's your thought is wrong. Your your assumptions made are just from the dark ages, and that almost yeah. feels more dangerous because it's harder to identify. Yeah, and I think there is a balance of conscious and um, conscious bias. I think some things people absolutely know they have a bias, and we all have a bias. Um, every single one of us that's a human being we have biases because they're ingrained in us from young age but I I do think the only way to overcome it is to talk about it mm. and in a safe space you know so and that's not just gender it's you know it's race it's um, sexuality everything mm. I think it's important to talk about it because often the bias is there through lack of knowledge, through lack of education about what the problem is. And once people understand there's a problem and they feel passionate about it or emotional about it, that emotional tie, they'll do something about it. They're more likely to stand up for what's right. But a lot of people are scared to talk about yeah. it. And therefore, I think having adult conversations, if you like, about mm. these topics as often as we can is, is the only way of... You know, I'm not going to say we're going to fix it completely, but certainly, you know, move forward instead of backwards. Yeah, as an old friend of mine used to say about almost everything, uh, evolution, not revolution, changes the world. And, and we all want it quicker, right? Um, yeah. Listen, I do need to move on to our last bit, conscious of your time, uh, Sarah. So the last bit is to pick your brains on sources of inspiration. Uh, and you're going to get the final say, actually, because this episode, as you probably don't know, is the final one of this series. But I definitely do want that date, um, if we sort it out off air, of getting you back to talk about that competency side. Because I think it's a massive part of sales that, 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 that almost the whole business community doesn't understand. And we I might send my business partner in for that one. Okay. All right. Um, she would be she would be great as well. Oh, that'd be brilliant. Oh, that'd be great to have both of you actually uh, for yeah. that. That would be that would be really good. So we'll get that in for the next series, definitely. Um, but yeah, source of inspiration. So this is it's one of my favorite bits of the show because I get to pick people's brains uh, on this stuff. Uh, and I'm a massive believer in just in life of just reading stuff, listening to stuff, listening to people. As and I don't think they always have to change your view, but I think they should provoke thought. And that's yeah. what I think of as sources of inspiration. Um, and yeah, I know you mentioned a few names when we spoke uh, in a prep, uh, prep call a little while ago. So what do you have for our listeners as far as books or speakers or podcasts or words of advice or resources for people to, to go away and, and tap into for their sources of inspiration? Sure. Um, so this, I've been interviewed on a number of podcasts and this often comes up. So I actually cheated and had to think about <laughs> it. Because I'm awful at answering this question when people oh, ask um, Sources of information of what's inspired me throughout life is, is fine. But actual, you know, the author's name and the book and all that right. kind of thing. Um, I think the the book that I've, I've I, I wouldn't say read, listen to, because I, I love Audible, um, that has really you know, stood out to me re most recently and is an author that the community might not have heard of. So I'll share it, it's um, Todd Capone. So he has a number of books. I would start with the Transparency Sale and it is fascinating. And it, you know, it really makes you think, 
how much a lot has changed, but a lot has not changed in, you know, what is the fundamentals of sales? You know, go right back, you know, 200 years ago when people were bartering and, you know, the the buyer only had the information that one sole salesperson was standing on their doorstep providing them with versus now and just really that evolution um, and the real human element. Um, so I, I would definitely recommend um, the Transparency Sale. He does have a number of other um, books and some more leadership driven, um, but fantastic author. And podcast wise, um, I love Marcus Kauke's podcast, the Inquisitor podcast. Um, Marcus is a sales leader and probably a name a number of your your community will have heard of, but not everyone knows he has a podcast and he brings sales leaders into that podcast, but he also brings other leaders from other walks of life. Um, I was interviewed on that podcast about a year ago, um, purely on my nursing background, really. Um, But it's one that I consistently listen to and would, would recommend. For sure. And you can access it on Apple, Spotify, mm. anywhere. Right. And that you mentioned that your prefer- preference is to listen to yes. your, your sources. Yes. Just because I have um, quite a commute um, mm. and I'm always running around. I have a six-year-old, so I'm always on my way to a kids club or a school pickup or drop-off or a board meeting. So spend quite a bit of time in the car. And it's a way of me absorbing information and developing myself on the move. Um, where if I start reading at nighttime, I will not go to sleep. I'm one mm. of the people, it does not help me relax. It, it yeah. really puts my brain in gear. Um, so I love listening. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I clarify that just because I think often people try and take in information either in the wrong way or at the wrong time. And I've done it lots. So I do read at night, but I only ever read fiction at night. And And my reading for business and my listening is in the morning, usually. Yeah. I'm also quite a slow reader. If I if I read a hard, okay. yeah, I'm slower. Whereas on Audible, I can I can increase the speed, mm. so I can get through more content in less time. Um, and a lot of people don't even realize you can do that. You can yeah. do it on podcast apps as well. Mm. So it just allows me to fit more in. Yeah, absolutely, Sarah. We are out of time. Thank you so much uh, for giving us your time. And joining us today and definitely um please come back with your business partner and let's talk about sales competencies and how that can help our listeners uh, to our listeners thank you for listening uh, this is the final episode of uh, series three women in sales although we will make sure we're getting plenty of women back including sarah and her business partner in the next series if you enjoyed this episode and indeed if you've enjoyed this series then please tell one other person and make sure you come back for the next series My name is Paul Owen, and you've been listening to the Sales Talent Podcast.